Welcome to Third Chances, a talk show where we like to hear from people who devoted their life to health, fitness and wellness. Medical professionals, health coaches and all the others who help us every day to cure our body, mind or soul. Those who always look for more natural, holistic ways to help even more people to live a happier and healthier life. Those who don't like to give up easily and settle on you or themselves. It is never too late or too soon. I always believe that every one of us deserves not just a second chance, but as many as we need. I'm Vera, your host. Who better than a master of reinvention with an accent to guide you through it, right? Just like they say, you are not a tree, so move. And God knows I have done just that in my own life many, many times. If you are not completely happy with the direction your life is going, this show may help you get the courage to change what is needed, find a new path and take charge. So come on over, pour yourself a glass of wine and spend some time with us. Let's laugh and cry together and get inspired by people just like you and me who overcame their own doubts and took a leap of faith to reinvent their life on their own terms. I hope and pray that we help you on that journey. And if you feel so compelled and inspired, please let us know. Don't be shy. Who knows? You may just be our next featured guest with another inspiring success story. So here we go. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Third Chances, where I have the privilege to speak with super interesting people that overcame a lot of things in their life and became successful. Somebody who should inspire us and somebody who is maybe the most captivating in their own life story. My today guest is so special to me, inspiring, and some of the most captivating speakers I have ever had the privilege to listen to. When you learn about his story, you will perhaps understand why. Ed Weens was born to missionary parents. He grew up in Alaska and Peru, South America. He followed his parents' footsteps into full-time ministry and missions. He was introduced to the network marketing concept while in high school, later embracing it so he could independently fund his ministry interests. For nearly 30 years, Ed has been a top-level achiever, multi-million dollar earner, elite performance-based club member, trainer and spokesperson for both the field and the corporate throughout North America, Asia, Europe, and Latin America. Ed, it is such a privilege to have you here today, and thank you so much for making time for my podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you are you are some of the most inspiring people I met lately. <laughs> uh, we, we spoke a little bit before our podcast start, and I... Reminded Ed, we met through ASIA. That's the company that we both work for. And I first saw him on a stage in Las Vegas last year when I had my first convention. And he captured the audience that there was no paper. You couldn't, you couldn't hear paper fall if you tried. And when he said that he was preacher or pastor, preacher, right? Yeah. Preacher. <laughs> I'm not sure what the difference is, to be honest with you. 
that explain a lot why he can speak so adequately. And and we met a few times since, and every time, whether he's training or whether he's just speaking from his heart to people to explain things, it is it stays with you. You don't forget that experience. So I hope this podcast with Bob will be one of those episodes that you would want to maybe go back and listen again. Definitely, I will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ed. Where are you, where are you calling from? First of all, it's very kind of you to say uh, all of those things, Vera. Thank you very much. It's uh, very humbling. Uh, uh, I'm calling you. I'm zooming in uh, today from Fayetteville, North Carolina, where Rebecca and I live. Um, down Fayetteville is one of the oldest cities in North Carolina. We're right on Interstate 95. About I always say North Carolina. I'm not a native of North Carolina, by the way. My wife, Rebecca, is. So she mm -hmm. has the accent. I don't. And, uh, but I kind of feel like we're on the north end of the south and the south end of the north, kind of right about halfway up between the, uh, the southern part of the country and the top part of the country. So it's a beautiful state, and that's been my home now for about 14 years. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, I have, I didn't know a lot about what you just sent me last minute as your bio. Because one of my first questions would be, what brought you to ministry? And you kind of answered it in your bio. Could you tell me a little bit more about it? How how that life looked like when you were traveling with your parents and get inspired to follow them? Well, my uh, both my mother and my father were uh, ordained ministers uh, before they met each other. And uh, my mom, as a single woman back in the 1940s, really felt like uh, she wanted to go to Africa. But uh, the missions board wouldn't send a single woman to Africa back in those days. So she actually teamed up with her brother. They had both gone to a Bible college and training uh, together. They were very close in age. And uh, they teamed up and went to Alaska, which was back in the 40s, was uh, about as foreign as any foreign country as before it became a state. It was pretty yeah. remote. And, uh, and then later mom came down to the mainland. She's an Idaho native. And and met my dad uh, in Idaho, and uh, they married. And then uh, right away, he joined her uh, in her her passion and her mission for missions and went back to Alaska. And I was born uh, before it was a state. That's got a little trivia question for your listeners to, to know. When when did Alaska become a state? It was the 49th state. So hmm. I'll let you on that. We can tell them later. <laughs> you know, I, grew up in that, I grew up in that world here, and, and it was just... Um, I wrestled with it, uh, you know, through my teenage years. I was, you know, they make a lot of jokes about preacher's kids and yeah. missionary kids were probably um, even a little bit more problematic than preacher's kids. And I didn't do anything to uh, um, um, change that image, I guess. So it was a, it was a wrestling match kind of in my own life before I came to grips with the fact that that's, that's sort of a direction I needed to take. And so uh, I made that decision while in high school and, Spent the first 20 years of my uh, post high school life in, in full-time work doing that, that kind of a thing and until uh, my life pathway led me to business. Did you, do you remember what was the major element that made you decide that that's your right path? You know, in, pretty in young. World, um, you, you, uh, you refer to it as a calling and it's just um, when you, when you sense your you know, if you've dedicated your life to a higher purpose, you, to God, um, you, you tend to try to seek out what you feel is, is his will and purpose for your life. You know, we all live, we, 
we're, we are here on purpose. We have a purpose. Yeah. Uh, whether we've discovered it or not, um, you know, none of us get, none of us asked to get launched into this game called life. We just, we get here and we got to figure out what it's all about. Uh, some people never, never even think about it. Yeah. And they'll spend more time planning their week's vacation than they will planning their entire life. And uh, I'm just a firm believer that we, we, we live here, we, we have a purpose, we got to find out what that is. Most people will just, um, they'll kind of just, it's like they get launched into the game sort of like a, like a ball in a pinball game. And they, they bounce in and out of situations and in and out of jobs and in and out of relationships and and hoping before that they, they drop off the table of the game of life that they hit the jackpot and usually they don't. And uh, so when I came to grips with what I felt my, my mission in life, my purpose in life was, it, it involved uh, that sense of calling to ministry. And so I've, I've found different ways to pursue that, that, that purpose and, and that passion. And, and now the business I'm a part of is a part of making um, that even more of a reality for me. Yeah, that it's it's interesting because you decide for the path, but then you probably learn that it's not really anything that you can make a decent living on. As well, a, we have a joke. There's a joke in 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 that world that uh, in the work the work of the Lord, uh, the pay is lousy, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, so, and that's not all that funny. At sometimes, my parents today are both collecting their retirement benefits. They passed away. Um, but yeah, sometimes, um, that's a, that's a reality and, um, that's just part as, you know, it's, it doesn't, it, a lot of, a lot of misconceptions about, about monetary gain and in, in that world as well. And, and, uh, we don't need to delve into all of that, but, uh, I just found that, um, uh, sometimes working in that, in that world can be as much of a corporate job as working for any corporation. So when I first transitioned into business full-time, uh, I remember people asking me, why would you leave ministry to go into business? And I, I always said, I, I didn't leave it. I just changed the way I get paid to do it. Uh, the parts about it that I love, I can still do. Yeah. I just do them as a volunteer. And the things that I didn't necessarily like, I don't have to, I don't have to go to staff meetings. And I don't have to have budget uh, fights. And I don't have to worry about trying to allocate funds. And I don't have to, I don't have any employees. Um, so all the things about that part of my life that I that I really found the most fulfilling, I, I, I can still participate in those. I just don't have to show up to a staff meeting on Monday morning. And I, I remember once you were talking from the stage that some people may have issue with materialistic side of it, kind of. And yeah. you, you made a very strong argument, if I remember correctly, that I don't apologize that I can pay first class for my missionaries to fly around the world and I can make their life much easier because I can afford it now because I'm in a position that I can actually make changes, change people's lives. Money's a resource. It's a tool. And uh, some people misquote the scripture. They'll say money's the root of all evil. That's not what it says. The love of it is the root of all evil. Yeah. Uh, in the hands of good people, money does great things. It, it does research on health principles. It builds buildings. It builds schools. It it drills water wells wells for uh, people in impoverished impoverished parts of the world. It uh, uh, it does great things in the hands of people with lesser values. Money can be very destructive. So don't uh, don't curse the tool. Just um, 
learn how to use it. And uh, right. people like you, Vera, if you become someone uh, into whose life flows an abundance of resources financially, you'll do good things with it. Yeah. It'll yeah. flow into your life and out of your life. So why not? Why not you? Why should it be the people with uh, lesser values that um, that control the resources? So that's just um, that's a that's a uh, sort of a pet topic of of mine. But you're right. I make no apology right. uh, at all. I think, especially in our kind of a business, every dollar earned uh, represents a life touched, a life changed, perhaps yeah. a life saved. Yeah. And uh, so to be able to uh, to do the things that the organizations that I'm a part of uh, do, I don't care what nonprofit your listeners might be a part of or interested in, it takes money to make them, to make them work. I don't care if it's, you name it. Uh, it can be environmental. It can be political. It, you know, causes like that take resources. So uh, do good things with it. Just accumulate as much as you can and do good things. There is a question, question that is being offered to me when uh, I, I obviously I know you are at top ranks uh, these days at uh, the company that we both work for or work with. And but I doubt that your line was straight to the top. I doubt that the path was very easy. <laughs> I doubt that maybe ASEA is not even the first and last company that you tried your success with. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Well, certainly not the first. I do hope it's the last. <laughs> so, um, no, you're right. It's, uh, I never use the word easy to describe the network marketing business model because easy implies no effort. Uh, it's a business. It's it's network marketing, and that we need to put the word work in bold letters. Um, but I came into ASEA with some with some history. I kind of cut my teeth in in, in different companies, <clears throat> so I didn't start out uh, in this industry. So thankfully, yeah, and I think some careers um, require a set of skills that are more transferable. Uh, to this business than, than some. And I think the kind of work that I was in, uh, definitely some of those people skills, uh, communication skills, uh, servant leadership mindset, all of those things are definitely um, assets that trans that translate well into, into this business. But, you know, it's there's no shortcut. Uh, I, I, I took a picture of a stairway once in when I was in Greece, and it just simply said, there's no elevator to the, up to the success, you've got to take the stairs. And um, that's just that's just true, it's, it's work. Uh, and I think some people think that this is um, more like a lottery, they treat this like a lottery, and it's not. This is, this is a business and there are certain things that need to be done uh, to, 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 to build a business like this. And, and the cool thing is that you, um, you, you, you help a lot of people. I was, I was just in, in Salt Lake City over the last couple of days, and um, they had, I was, I was, we were, there were several of us riding in a shuttle, and up and down the interstate uh, in, in Salt Lake City, and it's true like this in many parts of the country, they'll have a lane that you can only drive in if you have two or more passengers, people in the car. It's a carpool lane, and it's, uh, you know, they call it the diamond lane because there's a diamond symbol. And I, so I made, I said, folks, listen, take a look at this lane. This is a good illustration of our business. You can get to your destination faster if you take somebody with you. And I said, and the highway department really obviously identifies with network marketing because they made a diamond, the symbol in the lane. 
And so it's just a joke, obviously. But that's really that's really very the truth. Um, yeah, very true. In this business. And you know, Zig Ziglar, one of the mentors that a lot of us can look to, and I had a chance to work with him personally, uh, he said it so well that if you help enough people get what they want in this life, you can have anything that you want. If you had his son Tom on a podcast, in the screen right behind where he's sitting, you would see that quote from his father. If you help enough people in this world get what they want, you can have anything that you want. So that servant leadership principle is definitely uh, a part of what makes this business work. And, you know, I saw that principle modeled in, in my whole upbringing. My parents were, were servers. They were servants. And they, they, they served people. Rebecca saw that. Her, parent, her dad was a pastor for, for a while. And her mom was involved in, in music ministry and church. Rebecca's a nurse. Those are very service-oriented activities. So that that this is not the kind of business where you elbow your way to the top you don't walk over people you don't push people out of the way you serve your way to the top in network marketing and i just find that extremely um it's a comfortable uh it's a comfortable methodology for me to embrace and it's a noble when you look at it this way because many people have such a hard misconceptions about this model and uh and uh, based on maybe one bad experience they may have some somewhere sometimes had. You've all had those. You've all had them. You know, if you go to a restaurant and you, you you're going to have a, a bad meal, bad service, maybe even food poisoning. It doesn't mean you never go out to eat again. Uh, you just, um, you know, that was one one experience. So yeah, a lot of people do have, and you know, truthfully, I had there. I, I was exposed to network marketing before it was ever defined as an industry. It was before the laws were passed to give it structure and to govern it. And unfortunately, a lot of people today uh, still look back to maybe their, their first introduction to this, or it was introduced by somebody who was an obnoxious zealot. Yeah. And, and they've got a real tainted perception of what this industry is, when truthfully, it's the most noble profession, in my opinion, that exists. That's true. But let's go back to your younger path okay. to, to, right. to the it's a long ways there, back yeah. there was there was there were moments that were super hard to overcome i'm sure and one of those i heard you once on one of the master calls mastermind calls uh and that completely struck me because obviously i had no idea about that i only knew you with your with your wife rebecca yeah. and I learned there that, you know, when people are making excuses or making their own story, why they don't do these things and that things and don't treat it like a business, which included me because I had a very hard time at the beginning to, to, to get to some consistency with it, even though I whole, wholeheartedly believe in product because it helped me and some people around me when I first was introduced to it. But you mentioned you were in position when you were losing your apartment mm -hmm. and your wife was dying in a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. In the home. I don't know if somebody can imagine the type of pressure that's, you know, losing your love is bad enough. <laughs> uh, but being it coupled with financial issues and problems, tell me, and this is selfishly for myself. Uh, tell me, how did you, where did you draw the strength? How did you overcome it? How did you keep going? Because some people feel like they just want to give up. 
at such a moment? Well, you know, um, the book, the book of anyone's life is going to involve chapters that are high points and low points in their life. Um, we often say in this business, you know, you see people on the stage, you see people in the publications and recognition, you, you see the glory, but you don't know the story behind the glory. And uh, everybody that's had any measure of success in their life, I'm sure could go back and, and share with you the story, the stories behind the glory and the setback chapters. You know, every sport practically gives out an award every year called the Comeback Player of the Year Award. And it's usually awarded to somebody who had perhaps a career, a career threatening uh, injury and uh, they were out of the game, perhaps hospitalized and fought their way back through rehab and training and pain and suffering uh, and therapy uh, to get back to uh, the point where they could, they could perform with some degree of proficiency on the field or on the court and, uh, and do well. And they're honored then as, as the comeback player of the year award. We all love comeback stories. Yeah. Um, but there is no comeback without a setback. And I feel that, you know, setbacks are, are setups for comebacks. And, and I guess, thankfully, I had, um, I had begun to um, embrace that kind of thinking early on in my life. You know, I was affected in the little bio sketch that you that you uh, said right before I spoke, you mentioned, I think, 30 years. Well, I got to thinking it's probably 40 years now. Go mm. back to the beginning of my network marketing career. And I was, I was exposed to the kind of teaching and training and instruction that um, I think conditions you to, to, um, to just face life optimistically and to face it with some foundation of, 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 of a positive mindset knowing full well that the road's going to be rocky sometimes yeah. and sometimes that's just because of circumstances sometimes it's because of decisions that we've made and uh so when you're in those tough times it's a chance to really examine do you believe what you say you believe do you really abide by the principles that you've that you've shared and the principle the, the life the foundational principles that you say your life is based on do you really believe it? And, and those times, those those uh, those are only going to be tested in times of difficulty. They're not going to be tested when everything's going great. And so, yeah, I've had some really tough chapters here. And I, what I shared in that particular call that you're referring to, I mean, there was a single there was a single chapter of my life where my my first wife, unfortunately, had become had was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, she was she was dying. Hospice was in our home on a regular basis. She was in, in the room where she, not long after, passed away. And at the very same time, uh, you know, I had some real financial challenges going on. You know, even though this business had been good to me, there were, there were times where um, companies changed and, and uh, the ebb and flow financially um, changed. And uh, so I was, I was in a tight spot. I was in a tight spot tax-wise. I was in a really tight spot that I was, I was losing my condo and my wife was dying at the same time. So that was a pretty tough trifecta of circumstances, but just in my, in my heart, I just knew this is, 
I, you know, a preacher said something one time that made so much sense to me. He says, when you're going through hell, don't stop. And that's pretty good advice. It's just pretty good advice. So I just, um, you know, this could be sort of a trite quote, I guess that some people can say, oh, it's just a cute quote. But to me, it's, uh, it, these are, these are tenets that I embrace. Never doubt your beliefs and never believe your doubts. Never doubt your beliefs and never believe your doubts. And um, I mean, there are times where circumstances are going to be tough for all of us. And the, and the temptation is going to be to just doubt the principles that we've espoused or that we've read and we've believed. And uh, yeah, maybe you question them, maybe you step back and you reevaluate. But you know, for me, it just drove those pillars of principle deeper into my soul, deeper into my character. And I just knew that if I, if I just kept going, kept going, that eventually things would turn around. And uh, seen, I'm not the first person that that's played out that way. I've read, other, I've read biographies and stories of other folks who've had some real difficult challenges that they've gone through. But you know what? It's a chapter in the book. It's not the title of the book. And we've got to look at it that way. Life sometimes is just going to involve some tragedy chapters and some triumph chapters. And that's what makes the book interesting oh. and real and relatable. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And you are a good example because obviously a few years later you met a wonderful woman that is now your wife. And so you know what's interesting? Let me tell you a little piece of how that happened. Um, when my first wife got sick, I some people get some people kind of shrink into a into a shell and and become very private and go through suffering very, very privately. I, I chose to do just the opposite. I figured, you know what? If, if prayer has any value, yeah. um, more prayers is better than, than fewer. And so I became very public. I, I didn't know any of didn't have Facebook at, at part of that time. We didn't have some of the social media platforms, but I just, I, I, I didn't even know if I knew the word what blogging was. I just wrote, I wrote, I wrote about that whole journey. I wrote it and I shared it with my, my network of friends and business associates and I probably wrote something every two, three months and just updated my folks on the, on the journey. And, and unknown, unbeknownst to me, that got forwarded out by people to, to their circle and then to their circle. I don't know how far the ripple effect of all of that went, but it just made, um, it made the journey that I was going through. Um, it, it helped me therapeutically, mm -hmm. but I think it also helped people just sort of support me, uh, support us in, in that journey. And then after she passed, Sometime, some months later, I, I wrote about the fact that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the valley of the shadow of death is a very real place. It's a dark and lonely place, but it's not a place you set up camp and stay. You move through it. I walked through this. The psalm says, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And so I, I talked about just moving on, moving, moving forward. And um, <clears throat> truthfully, I, there were people, there were some ladies here in North Carolina that knew Rebecca. Rebecca was, I, I had never met Rebecca, didn't know who she was. And she was a nurse for one of the sons of one of those ladies. And uh, she'd gone through a tough time herself and she'd become single. And she lamented her loneliness one day to a couple of these ladies who knew about me from our previous experience. They knew what I'd gone through and they took it upon themselves to connect Rebecca and me. Now, had I not shared the pain of that journey, yeah. 
so publicly, they would have never known it. Right. And they would have never had any ability for Rebecca and I to connect. So it was through it was through the pain and the suffering and sharing that that I've connected with Rebecca. So I mean, if anything is is the example of the fact that there's resurrection after death, it's the fact that a whole new relationship, a great marriage, a wonderful wife, and life together has emerged from the ashes of what was a pretty devastating experience. So um, don't be so private about your suffering and your pain. Don't necessarily broadcast it, but you need people in your life to help you through it and maybe help you come out the other end. Yeah, for sure. I have been more the first type that you mentioned that you I shrank and dealt with it as privately as possible, which is a big mistake, but I have been open afterwards to reach out to people and make new friends and, and be outgoing and really, really re re reinvent my life once again because with my story it was almost also that I moved here over the ocean with my entire family left behind to be with my man and then when you lose that it's it looks like the purpose of your life is gone because the you know it's 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 different Uh, obviously we all lost loved ones and I lost brother when he was very young and my parents are gone and it's like Every loss is very painful, but to me, what it meant when you have somebody you really love and it's, that's your life, you make plans together, you make, your future is about two of you, not one of you. And suddenly that's like carpet pulled from under you and boom, you have to reevaluate everything that you did so far. And for me, it was a little, little more difficult to, to, to deal with without having anybody really close uh, to me at that time, uh, except his, thank God for his two daughters from his first marriage that we are very close to and they live close by and they really checked on me and we were in touch, but they were dealing with their own loss of their dad. So sure. it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really- There's sad chapters to life. There's no question about it. But... And nobody got trained on that, how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, but you, like you say, you didn't stop and look at you today. Well, it's, uh, it, I'm blessed. I'm very thankful, very thankful, very grateful. And, you know, even, even now life's not without its, uh, out of its bumps and, and, uh, challenges, but that's just, that's life. That's just part of life. You just keep moving, uh, moving forward. And so. Um, I'm sure your fate also helped you to help your health. Yeah, and- definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, my, my belief system is, uh, has a, has an eternal nature to it. And so when you evaluate life and a lot and evaluate decisions, uh, based on an eternal perspective, it does, it does change kind of the way you, the way you think, the way you process things. And I've had this mental image on my mind for years. If you can, if you can imagine a, uh, a big wall chart of all of human history, we're back to, whenever it began, and I don't think anybody ever knows how long ago that really was, to out to the future, and I don't think anybody really knows when that time frame is going to be. It's a, it's, a, it's a long span of time. Maybe we can plot six or 7,000 years of recorded human history on there. But then if you take your number of years yeah. and you superimpose it on that chart, we, we don't take up much space. We're just a little little blip on the chart, but we've got to figure out um, how to make that part of that chart make sense, how to make that life contribute. You know, most people 
hundred years after they're gone, there's, there's no proof they were even here. And so somehow we've got to take responsibility to make sure that our life counts and that, that it matches, I believe that's got to match God's purpose. And uh, if you believe in the eternal perspective of life, then, then uh, what matters here is important, but, but not eternally consequential. Um, you know, Paul in the, Old Test in the New Testament said, uh, for, me to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can you beat somebody with an attitude like that? So, yeah, it's it's uh, faith, faith, a faith foundation to me is definitely a part of what makes life um, bearable and fruitful. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you what, how did how did it look for you when you were first introduced to Asia? Yeah, well, you know, let me let me take it back a little bit further than that. Um, when I was first introduced to network marketing. Um, you know, my, my, the earliest I can remember earning money was we lived in a fishing village in Alaska and my dad would, uh, would catch crab, mom would boil them. And I would go door to door selling boiled crab, uh, 25 cents for the regular size one and 35 cents for the bigger ones. Hmm. We'll take that today. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I sold newspapers on the street corners of uh, Juneau, Alaska when I was eight, nine years old. And I just knew that the harder I worked, the more I hustled, the more I earned. And I always, I always liked that feature because I felt that I had a work ethic uh, to, make, to make the most of it. Um, I never really liked the idea of getting paid so much an hour or so much a particular time block because somebody else that maybe didn't work nearly as hard as I did or as diligently as I did got paid the same amount or maybe more just because they had been there longer. So I'd never liked that sort of equation um, but that's just the way, you know, most of the business world works. When I was a senior in high school, we'd just come back from South America and I walked into the garage of some friends of my parents. Uh, and he was a builder, a remodeler, had some real estate property. And I knew that about him. And so I looked in his garage and there were shelves all around the garage with products, home cleaning products and home care products, personal care products. And I said, well, what is all this? Oh, I said, these are products that we, we sell. I said, you, you make money selling these? Oh, yeah. Then he said something that just completely floored me. He says, if we recruit other people to sell these products, we make money when they sell. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. What a concept. Never heard of network marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and then later on, of course, I, I was introduced to network marketing, a really kind of a weird side of it. In fact, the presentation that I was uh, that I saw as another old story uh, the the or the the uh, originator of that particular enterprise ended up going to prison um, because but but again back then there were no laws in this country yeah. to govern what network marketing was it was in the same uh, predefined mode that franchising was some years earlier when franchising was a brand new idea somebody packaged a business concept sold somebody this business idea and if they did things a certain way advertised a certain way they paid a royalty to the to the franchise company uh well when that first that first popped up on the scene nobody had ever thought of that idea before and congress stepped in and almost outlawed it because it was perceived to be a ripoff to the american consumer well obviously rules were passed laws were passed Franchising is alive and well all over the world today. 
but network marketing went through the same sort of a phase. So <clears throat> when I um, later on got involved in network marketing, uh, I, I had a, I had some success. Uh, I had a, I had a, what we call and to use a baseball term, a real home run. And that's when I left the, the paid aspect of ministry to go into the business full time. And that was, um, uh, gosh, that was, that was probably 30 years ago, full time, 30 years. And, um, so when ASEA came along, you know, I'd, I'd just been through the tough chapter when my wife had passed and, uh, I was, I still was involved with another company, but I was kind of low profile. I was really kind of not on the playing field. I'd kind of been off the field for a while. And, uh, so my friends called me about ASEA 2009, the very end of 2009. And I just knew historically that new companies in this space typically don't have their second birthday. And so I wasn't, I, I wanted to respect my friends, they had a lot of credibility with me, um, but I just wasn't looking for an opportunity. And um, I was newly married to Rebecca, I was about six months at that point. And I said, listen, Rebecca, you're a nurse, you're a smart researcher. These are good friends of mine, they're trustworthy people. They've told me about this new company with the product, I have no idea what it is but uh, why don't you go check this out? So in January of 2010, she flew to Salt Lake City and came back and said, well, I, I listened to the doctors and the founders and the executives. I toured the facility. So I signed this up, she said. I said, okay, great. So we were in, I guess at that point, but it wasn't, I didn't have any intellectual buy-in. I didn't, I didn't have any, uh, I, I didn't, I just didn't get involved. And uh, almost five years went by. And I kind of watched from a distance. My and Rebecca was doing it? Not really. No, she was working as a nurse. Okay. You know, she she knew I was the business person. She was focused on her nursing job. Mm -hmm. And so we were just kind of sailing along through life. And and we, again, we hit some circumstantial times that were challenging. And um, uh, so I, I, I had to reevaluate this. And there's another whole facet to that story. God really got my attention. And uh, so I called my friend. I said, okay, what exactly is this? Tell me what this is, what this product is, and uh, fill me in. So I made the trip then to Salt Lake City uh, in September of 2014. And I realized that uh, I had missed the boat by not getting engaged earlier. But I, I went for a couple of reasons. One, I knew that the product had to be legit. Otherwise, they wouldn't still be around after five years with the product that wasn't effective. But I wanted to see more than just the product. I wanted to see who the company was and look them in the eye and sense their, their vision, their mission, their passion. Try to get a read on their trustworthiness, their credibility, because I knew the, I knew the flip side of that. Um, I wanted to find out what their game plan was long term. I wanted to get a sense for how competent they were. And uh, I came away with a real sense of assurance that this company was worth my best effort. And it was worth rolling up my sleeves and going back to work again, starting from zero. And uh, so that's what we did. Uh, that was almost nine years ago. Next month will be nine years since I really kind of woke up to what this was. And uh, I still feel today, Vera, that we're, we're laying foundation here. You know, this company, I just came back. I was just in headquarters again, Alaska Wednesday. I took a, a tour of some people through there on Wednesday and spent the day with the executives and, and just again, reassured that this company is worthy of your best efforts. It's worthy of clearing the decks and making some time and energy allocation 
to make the most of this. We, we're a long ways where we're going to be as a company, but we've got a great start now, 14 years start. And uh, I would just encourage anybody that's looking and evaluating. If I, I interviewed um, a half dozen or so folks about three or four years ago. We talked about, and, and, and we were all experienced in network marketing. And between us, between those of us that were on that on that Zoom call, we probably had a combined 300 years experience in network marketing. And if you added up the size of the organizations that we'd all been a part of, it was hundreds of thousands of people. If you were to look at the incomes that we had all collectively earned over the years, it was tens of millions. And we, we just collectively agreed consensus that this is the company we've always hoped we could find. It's not perfect, no company is, but they, they check most of the boxes of what you would look for in terms of a an impactful product and a game plan to, uh, to, to deploy this around the world and a great compensation plan and competent leadership, people you can trust, field first interest. I mean, they, they, they are pledged that half of what the revenue, the, half the revenue that comes in goes out to the field. And there are certain things they do to even um, stimulate the financial health of the field. And I've watched them now managed through some tough, challenging times, you know, economically, globally. And um, this this company is just, I mean, I, I don't want to do this again anyway. I'm, I'm 72 years old next month. And uh, I don't want to have to do this again. I really don't feel like I will. This is a legacy company. Our founders come from old companies, companies with a long history. They want this to be a legacy company that that my grandkids, my kids and my grandkids, I have a grandson traveling here, uh, arrives here. What's um, He's going to be here within about five hours flying in here. He's been with me on a humanitarian trip through our, with our foundation in Ecuador. He kind of has already sensed the heart of the company because he's helped build the vocational center in Ecuador that this company's built. And uh, he's going to be with me here for a few days. And I'm looking for his generation to be able to to carry on the work that Rebecca and I are, are, are developing today. That's the kind of company I want to be a part of. And not a lot of them offer that, but that's the mindset from the top here. And it's certainly something that I embrace uh, at, at my level. So I'm not sure I answered whatever question you asked, but uh, hopefully that helps. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. There's a, you know, a, let me ask you when you are somebody who's starting and they don't even know where to start. There's obviously a lot of training involved and there, there's people that you can reach out to. How did you start when you when you said you finally realized that this is worth your effort? Did yeah. you start just sharing the product or did you focus on building the team? Well, it's a people, it's a people business. And um, when you get your sales kit from the company and you open it up, there's a little bit of information in there, there's a little bit of product in there, but there's no people in there. And uh, so I, I love I love the uh, the illustration that Mal Sword, one of the leaders on our team, and by the way, he's a he's a tremendous leader, uh, rich history in this business. In fact, to me, he's really he's really um, uh, he's a legend in the network marketing business. But he says it this way, and I and it's the difference. It's a mathematical comparison. If you want to get to a, a big number big number of volume, big number of people on your team, a big number of income, uh, income wise, there's two ways to get there. You can get to a big number through addition, where you add one here, add two here, add another one here, bring another customer on, get another case of product on, on subscription, 
And that's fine. That's, that's all a part of what we have to do. Um, but that's addition. A lot of people, and I, and I don't, uh, I'm thankful for all the health professionals that we have. Rebecca and my wife is, is one. And, and they have a, a heal the world kind of a mentality. And, and that's wonderful. We have a product that lends itself to that. We, our pro, the product portal into the ASEA tent is very, very valid. And so that's the way a lot of people will come into the, into the tent, so to speak, is through the product and the product experience. And that's good. We have that. We need to have something like that. But that really is addition. And you can eventually get to a big number that way. But on the other hand, if you can bring people into your network who have circles of influence, who have credibility, who know people, who can have an impact, they will leverage your word of mouth to an extent that's called multiplication. And you can get to a big number faster through multiplication than you can through addition. So it's how I approach it. How anybody that's new has to approach it. It's it's both. You you, you want to you're going to add people and you want to look for multipliers as well. So there's no shortcut other than just moving people through the discovery pipeline, and it's just a matter of getting people in that pipeline and the various steps in that pipeline. It could be a webinar. It could be a conference call. It could be a, you know, a website that you give somebody. It could be a recording of something that you send it. You, information, perhaps even something printed, a product experience, whatever. There's a lot of things that are components of that discovery pipeline. And ultimately, hopefully it leads them to a decision. And the decision is either to become a customer or to say, no, this is not for me, or to become an associate. And you've got to help guide people to that decision point and then Take it from there and then teach them to do the same, the same thing as duplication. But you need to constantly have people in that pipeline. And you're going to call and reach out to a lot of people who, who don't want to get into that pipeline. That's fine. That's people. Some of them will today. Some of them will tomorrow. And some of them never will. But just continue to do the effort so you're filling that pipeline with people. And always know when the next event is. The next event might be a live call. It might be a, an event in wherever you happen to live. It could be the convention coming up and uh, pointing people to the next opportunity. And uh, eventually you'll have enough that will decide to be a part of your team and begin to multiply your efforts. You never know. You never know where they're, where they're, where, how they're going to come about. Rebecca and I have a mindset of anticipation and expectancy every day. We pray literally, pray a prayer. Got to bring across our path people who need to know what we've been blessed to discover. Just we look for it. We, 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 we approach every day with some degree of expectancy. So when it happens, we're not surprised. And uh, we act on it in lots of stories. I'll just give you a quick example. You met Mike Beverly down in Florida at one of the events down there, okay? Mike and I were in a mastermind class in 2020. Had nothing to do with network marketing. Didn't know each other. There was about a dozen of us in this mastermind class. We had meetings, uh, Zoom meetings every every couple of weeks. We read through books together and we had some coaching from the guy who, uh, who organized it. Um, and it was a real mixed bag of professions represented in that mastermind. Uh, and I found out on one of those Zoom calls that Mike wasn't available because he was in the hospital and uh, he was having a real health challenge. I made myself a mental note, got to find out what that's all about, see if I can help the guy. And uh, didn't act on it right away. <clears throat> One of my associates from another state happened to be coming through here, stopped, he and his wife spent the night with us. 
He'd been in network marketing in the past. And we started talking about people that he knew. He says, I would sure like to reach out to a guy named Mike Beverly. I said, where? In Florida. He said, well, there can't be more than one of them. Brought him up on Facebook. He said, yeah, that's him. So I filled him in with what Mike was dealing with. He gets a hold of Mike. says, Mike, I'm sending you some product. Product shows up. Mike gets it. And um, he's out of the hospital by now, but he's very weak. He's sleeping 16, 18 hours a day. A lot of blood loss is what he'd gone through. And so uh, before he opened up the case, he called up my friend who'd sent it and said, got to ask you a question first. Is this network marketing? And my friend said, yeah, that's the way they market. He said, I'll tell you what, I have a UPS account. I'll send it back to you. No, thanks. I want nothing to do with a network marketing company. Chris just said, listen, forget it. Just use the product. Forget the business. He uses the product five days later. He's got his energy back, his vitality. His numbers are coming up. Obviously, he's embraced the product. The flip side obviously kicked in because once you know what this product does, Vera, it becomes a, a moral obligation. There are other people out there who need to know about this. And there's no other way they're going to find out about it. Well, Mike's a platinum associate now on his way to Diamond. He was just hosting some folks at the headquarters on Wednesday with me. Um, so didn't expect that. Well, I did expect it. Just it always comes in ways. That contact came in ways that you can't always predict. But plan for it, expect it, and when it comes your way, act on it. And um, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah, that's that was actually his event that I came to see in yeah. Orlando where we met for a second time. Yeah, yeah, I remember him very well. Yeah. Well, if I can ask you, because this this podcast is a lot about reinvention. Mm -hmm. If were you sitting today with all the hard work that you put in through through the years, did you ever did it ever cross your mind that you would be somewhere like you are today? when you were back in the ministry? Um, I don't know, not, not, not the specifics, but you know, I, I was a dreamer, I really was. I, I just got, I, I was a, I just blessed, I guess, to be a possibility thinker. Um, and I think some of that just kind of comes through my DNA. For, I'll just give you a quick historical example. My, my grandfather, my great, I don't know how many greats it is, but he was a young man that came over here in the, during the Revolutionary War. He was a drummer for the British Army, and he was captured. And during captivity, he began to hear about and learn about the American cause, the struggle to be free and break free from, from tyranny. And he got caught up. He bought it. He bought into the idea of what America was all about. And when he got released from prison camp, he became a drummer in the American army and, and was in there till the war was won, was literally on his way, part of Lewis and Clark's expedi expedition to the West. And he was discharged somewhere in, in, I think in Missouri, he ended up homesteading in Tennessee and there's a family cemetery now in Tennessee. So that, I guess that dream mechanism, you know, my grandparents that I remember were, were homesteaders, ventured out from Missouri out to Idaho and got land, had dreams of. So I've, I've just been, I've, I've been around that sort of possibility thinking, I guess my, my whole life. I got exposed when I was in high school, living in South America, even though my parents were just missionaries and you know we didn't live a fancy lifestyle at all. I mean, one of my friends was the son of the English ambassador. They lived in a big mansion. And, uh, and I was around other kids whose parents were diplomats and 
I just realized there was there was another way to live than just living sort of in impoverished circumstances. And again, not that I'm chasing monetary gain because that isn't necessarily it, but I've desired to have to 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 to, to do well and to uh, help other people do well. It goes back to Zig Ziglar's statement: If you help enough people do well, get what they want, you can have anything that you want. So. I, I, Rebecca and I look at our lives as we're we're not trying to be a dead sea. We want to be a, a we want to be a river. We want resources to flow in and flow out, and not try to hoard them. We we recognize that. I mean, I'm you know we're at the stage of life. If you if if golf was if life was a golf game, we're we're definitely on the back nine. I hope there's a few more holes to play, um, but I'm all about legacy at this point. I'm about I'm about leaving something. Uh, behind not just for my grandkids but in my grandkids your legacy is not just what you leave for your descendants it's what you plant in them and i want them to see what it's like to have resources enough so you're not stressed every day chasing the necessities but you have enough so you can sit back and think about what I, what, what can i do what kind of a difference can i make yeah and uh, so maybe i have i have thought about this and dreamed about it you don't know how it's going to play out exactly but it's kind of fun to pursue it on a daily basis. I think you have you have wonderful impact of on people that are really struggling with the with their own self and with like with that real estate in between our ears that we fight with every single day, the stories we tell. And you have a huge impact because of your personality, the way you can motivate people and and most most especially not what you say, but what you do every day. Well, I, have just... I want to recommend, can I recommend a book? Of course. I, want, of course I want to recommend a book. Now the book's out of print, uh, but you can get it on Amazon for, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks, something like that. It's a book called, I don't know if this camera will show it here, The 10 Seeds of Greatness. 10 Seeds of Greatness, The 10 Best Kept Secrets of Total Success by Dr. Dennis Waitley. B-E-N-I-S-W-A-I-T-L-E-Y. Mm -hmm. -E and um, this book... I first read this book, gosh, uh, 40 years ago. And uh, it's probably been one of the most impactful books outside of the Bible for me. And it's just 10 principles, 10 characteristics that are seeds. And if they're planted, they will produce greatness uh, in your life. And um, I, I've taught it. I've taught it in churches. I've taught it in, in uh, addiction rehab programs. I've, I've taught it to business teams. It's... Um, Good stuff. So I recommend that. Go on Amazon, to look it up. You can find a used copy somewhere mm -hmm. and uh, read it and reread it and absorb it. Thank you so much. I definitely, and I will put it in the show notes as well so people can look it up if they want to. Uh, what? Thank you so much for, this has been wonderful, wonderful time spent with you. I know you are resource of wonderful wisdom and i really admire you and thank you for i know how busy you are i really appreciate that you made time for us would there be maybe would there be maybe one thing that you would like to leave with us all to encourage people not to be afraid and and go for it whatever sure. they are I'll give, you, I'll give you one more quote one more quote to go on and then, and then i'm going to take my grandson who's in the other room and i'm going to go across the street to a baseball game Okay, so um, I love this quote too. It just says this, things come to those who wait, but only what's left over from those who hustle.
things come to those who wait, but only what's left over from those who hustle. So get out there and hustle. Somebody's waiting to hear. Somebody needs to know what you know. They're waiting to hear what you've discovered. And um, this is the only way. This is the only way this company is going to grow. Yeah. We have, there's no other game plan. I tell you, I just, again, the time spent with the founders just within the last couple of days. And we were just in St. Thomas together, listening to the, you know, the heart and soul of this company with the leadership. This, they're committed. They are committed to this marketing plan, which depends on you and I. It's word of mouth. That's it. There's no other game plan. So that's a, that's a responsibility and it's an opportunity all wrapped in one big package. So go for it. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your new grandbabies that you told Twins. me yeah. just Twins. came to the world. And uh, many thanks to Rebecca that she, that I can lend you for, <laughs> borrow you for an hour. No and, and I'm sure you have plenty to go back to the joyful family life. So thank you so much, Edvins. This is, this has been big pleasure for me. And I'll, I'll put all the contact information in the, in the notes. If uh, somebody wants to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to reach out? Just give them my cell phone, give them my email. I answer my phone and I do my best to answer my emails. But text okay. me, call me, whatever. All right, all right. Me on Facebook and uh, doing, I'm trying to do better getting on all the other platforms as well. That was Edwin's for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much and have a great evening. Woo!